0: Amen. Would you guys open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, uh, page 810 is where you're going to find 1 Corinthians. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, uh, page 810 uh, should be 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to start this morning. And uh, I I really wanted to just open up with uh, a reading of the scripture that's been on my heart and mind kind of all week. And I I love how God orchestrates things. Amen. And every message that we preach as a church, uh, I should say our desire is every message. I I guess I can't say every single message I've done this, but every message that I preach here, um, I will always do my very best by God's leading and grace to present some form of a gospel presentation. Some form of a reminder about the gospel. Now, we just finished up a series called Family Focus. And we talked about all the different aspects of the Christian family in the world today. But even in that, we can still talk to the gospel. Amen? Uh, Because the gospel is intertwined in everything we do as followers of Christ. It doesn't matter if we're doing a message on prayer, the gospel is going to be talked about. If we're doing a message on tithing, the gospel is going to be talked about. If you're doing a message on uh, Bible study, it's going to be talked about right? Uh, what the role of the husband is, the role of the wife, the role of the children, the gospel is going to be talked about. But all week, I kind of was praying, Lord, we don't really have a series to go into. Where do you really want me to go in the next couple of weeks? We got missionaries coming in at the end of the month. And I, I really don't like starting a series right before missionaries come in because then I feel like we kind of take a couple of weeks off and it gets a little weird. And, and all week, the Lord was like, the gospel, And so I just want to let you know, like, like there's nothing new about this morning in the sense that we're going to talk about the gospel like we do often. But I want to spend time this morning really just being before the reality of the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so 1 Corinthians 15. And I pray that you've been encouraging God's word this week. Just, I loved all the music this morning and how it all geared our hearts towards the gospel. Um, I mean, Jeff's special. What an amazing testimony of who God is and what God is doing through the work of his gospel. That no matter whether he moves the mountain or the mountain remains in front of us, he's still the same. In the valleys or the mountaintops, he's still the same. There's a line in there and I won't sing it because I won't put you through that. But I know Vic's like, please, for, I don't know, how many 18 years now being in ministry here, he's like, just one time, sing a special. I'm one of those burning bush, like handwriting on the wall moments to get that to that point, brother, but, but there was a line in there that something to the regards of that, that even in the shadows, he's the same God, like it doesn't matter what we're going through. He's the same God. And so first Corinthians 15, I'm just going to read, just going to read together the first 11 verses. And I was sitting over there just thinking, Lord, you're so good that everything is just pointing us to the gospel, even Romans 6 that Pastor Greg read, points us back to the gospel, that we are buried and dead with Christ to the crucifixion, and we are risen again in Christ unto the newness of life. What is that? That's the gospel. And so 1 Corinthians 15, let's look at what God's word says this morning. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now the gospel is unpacked in many ways in the New Testament, but I love what Paul does here. He kind of summarizes it for us, if you will. He says this in in verse 1 again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. We don't just receive the gospel for eternal life. We're going to talk about this morning. We stand, present tense, in the gospel. Like our lives right now are standing on the solid ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've believed it. We've received it. But now we stand in it. And I love that word picture, that, that idea of standing in the gospel. This week at, at Camp Michael, we talked about the ripple effect that goes through people's lives, that, that you are in Christ able to cause a ripple effect into other people's lives for, for Christ. But none of that can happen. We looked at 1 Timothy 4:12 about being an example among the believers in all these different areas in word, in our actions, in our walk with Christ, in our faith, in purity. But one thing that those kids needed to understand, the counselors, the staff, even myself needed to be reminded of this. We cannot start with the outward and work in. Okay, I'm going to be an example in my words. So I'm going to work on my words. That's not how it works. No, Colossians tells us in chapter 2 that because you've received Christ, now you can walk in Christ. So I love this imagery here. We don't only stand in the gospel. We, what, we walk actively in the gospel. We're pursuing Christ-likeness. He goes on to say this in verse two, by which also you are saved. So we're only saved by what? The gospel. We aren't saved in good works. And I know you're thinking, preacher, listen, I've been saved a long time. Some of you got saved when you were a child and, and you're later on in years now, you've spent most of your adult life as a follower of Christ. And what a Praise. And I even had the yesterday when the Lord was kind of, again, giving me some ideas on what we could talk about this morning. And this uh, message was done. That was all done and and all of that. But just praying, Lord, give me insight into what I could share. And and there was that little voice of my flesh. And I I really don't like that fleshy voice. Anyone else can agree that fleshy voice starts talking? You're like, would you just shut up already? Okay. And he he started saying, you're really just going to talk about the gospel? Like those people are going to be so bored. They're going to be sitting there like, oh, been there, done that, heard this, know this, memorized it. But I'm so thankful that that fleshy voice is so quiet compared to the voice of the Spirit when you're walking in Christ. And the Spirit said, by the way, all you need is the gospel. I think we've entered a weird phase of, of church in America today where it's almost like the topic has to intrigue me for it to be something I want to engage with. I mentioned this Wednesday night. So we're doing the seven churches of Revelation. We've been studying through a different church every Wednesday night. And we just finished. or Sorry, no. See, look, I assumed something there. We tried to finish the church of Laodicea. We're going to finish that Wednesday. And after that, we're going to, by God's grace, if he leads this way, I want to write. From scripture, what would a letter to North Goodland look like? We read about all these other churches and the letters that they get. What would a letter to North Goodland look like? And I shared something Wednesday night that I think is still very true. We live in a church culture today. This is not just a North Goodland problem. This is an American church problem. Where if, if you announce a study, you announce a series, you announce something you're talking about. If it catches the interest, if it catches the, the eye of someone, they'll go, okay, I'll be there for that. And I told our church on Wednesday night, I told the group that was there, I said, there's a reason I didn't announce that we were studying Revelation on Wednesday nights. There was intention in that. Because I know there are Christians that will go, I won't go to Wednesday night because I don't really have the moment of time for it. But if you're studying Revelation, I'll go to Wednesday night because that topic interests me. Do you know what Paul says? We don't stand in the certain topics of scripture or these subjects of scripture, we stand in the gospel because the gospel's enough. And if you're saved by the grace of God through faith, not of yourselves, you didn't work it, you didn't earn it. And if he saved you, then anytime we open this book, it's worth it. Anytime we gather as the body of Christ, it's worth it. Why? Because it's the gospel. He goes on to say this. By which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. There are those that maybe have professed to know Christ, but really haven't received it. They're not really converted. They're not really saved. They're going to church. They show up to church, but there's no real walk with Christ. There's no actual conversion that's taken place here. So he's saying if if you really haven't believed, you haven't really accepted, then you're living in vain. It's not doing anything for you goes on to say this, verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. So he received it. How that Christ died for our sins. How Christ died for our sins. Galatians chapter 1. You don't need to turn there, but Galatians 1 says this in verse 3 and 4. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins... That he might deliver us from this present evil, uh, this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. You see, Paul saying in Galatians and First Corinthians that he was crucified; he was given for our sins. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That is key. Verse four, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. You know what that's saying? Paul says, you can go talk to them. Some of the people that seen Jesus walking around, like seen him resurrected before his ascension, they're still alive today. You can go talk to them. Some have died, some have passed on, but some are still alive today. He's so confident. He's saying, listen, he was seen. There was eyewitness accounts. Verse 7, after that he was seen of James then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that, are not, uh, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He's comparing the two. He believed, he received, and he showed work of that. It wasn't in vain. There are those who say they believe, but really don't believe, and there's no evidence of that belief. They've believed in vain. He's comparing the two. Himself, as a follower of Christ, to these in the church that say, oh, I believe, but they're not even at the same level of faith as the demons because James says the demons believe and tremble. We got people showing up to church saying, I believe and there's no trembling. Paul says, that's vain. That's empty. There's no sustenance there. There's no fruit there. Verse 11. Therefore, whether I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The gospel is everything. Let's pray. Father, We thank you, Lord, for this time that we can gather and worship you. Lord, I know that we've already prayed and we've already lifted up our hearts and our minds to you in worship. We've asked you that you would work in and through this time in your word. Lord, I pray that you would do just that. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, those watching online, they have not believed in vain but they have actually confessed their their sins before you. They've repented and turned from their sins. They've believed that you died on the cross for their sins, not just the sins of others, not just someone else's sin out there in the world, but their own sin. They believe that you were buried in a tomb, that you rose again on the third day, that you were seen by eyewitnesses following your resurrection, and then you ascended into heaven. Lord, we put our faith and our trust in that, and if we do that, the Bible says that we are forgiven of our sins and granted eternal life, not by works that we have done, but simply by faith and believing and receiving the grace that you extend to us. And Father, I pray that if anyone's here that has not done that, they've believed in vain, meaning they, they, they confess the faith, but they don't really possess that faith. They go to church and they they pray and they try to do good things, but there's really no, there's no meat to it. There's nothing solid to it. Lord, I pray that they would know that you love them and care for them and desire to have a relationship with them. And if they would just turn from their sin and trust in you, that you can do the saving work in their life you've, like you've done in so many other lives. It doesn't matter the sin. It doesn't matter what they've done. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Do we condone sin or make it like it's not a big deal? Of course not, Lord. It is, it is such a massive, weighty, destructive, powerful thing in our lives when we allow sin to rule and reign. And so, Lord, it is not that it's no big deal. It's that in the face of sin, greater is your grace, greater is your love, greater is your presence, and greater is the cross. So I pray that you would save those that need to be saved today, Lord, that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. And Lord, for the believer here today, I pray you'd stir within us the reality of the gospel for our everyday life. Not just that we would go and evangelize and share Christ with others and tell people about our faith, which is important. But Lord, it would change our daily lives. We would think differently, be motivated differently differently. Pray differently, desire different things in the face of the gospel. So, thank you for this time where we can just simplify everything down. And in just an honest and clear way, we want to just pause and praise over the gospel. We want to rejoice in the goodness of our God. I want to be thankful. Lord, too often in my Christian life, I'm. I'm quick to just keep on going and jump to the next thing. But, Lord, I pray you'd give us all just a stillness over the gospel this morning. That it would stir us and move us towards a deeper walk with you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word and for this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul here does an amazing job of summarizing the gospel summarizing the gospel. And if you're reading through 1 Corinthians 15 or any gospel passage, it should do something in us. It should stir something in us. If you've reached a point in your Christian life where you can read a passage about the gospel that Jesus died for your sins, was buried for your sins, and it doesn't stir you, I I implore you to spend time with the Lord saying, Lord, break my apathetic heart. Stir within me a passion for the things of Christ. Don't let me read these passages and it not do something to me. I'm not talking about just outward emotion, which is fine if that's what God leads, but it's more than that. It's a deep stirring. It's a, it's a moving in our spirit to realize what Christ did for us, undeserving enemies of God. And yet he says, but I love you and I want you with me, so I'm willing to do this. Again, these verses should always affect us at the deepest level. The Apostle Paul summarizes the gospel very clearly. The death burial, and resurrection of Christ. And here's that phrase that is so vital, according to the scriptures. It's been revealed to us through the scriptures. And the Bible is how we come to even know faith. Romans ten seventeen: for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that passage is so powerful because right before that, Paul lays out this beautiful case for evangelism and missions. He says, yeah, you can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Right? Romans ten thirteen. What a praise. But then he says, but how are they going to call on whom they have not believed? And how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they be a preacher unless they are sent? And then when they're sent out to share the faith, to share the word of God, they will come to faith by God's moving. And again, Romans 10, that word preacher does not mean preacher, pastoral office. It means preacher, proclaimer, one who proclaims the gospel. And Paul says it's all according to the scriptures. It's all according to God's word. So if you're taking notes this morning, you can go on our app and you can find the outline there uh, ser- or under media, sermon notes, and you'll find today's notes. If you want to fill in, you can, but very basic outline this morning. Here's the, the kind of whole point of the message. The gospel is our foundation, And I know that's so simple. I know that's so basic, but it has to be because it is that way in scripture. The gospel is our foundation. What is it our foundation for? It's for this life. The gospel is our foundation for this life. Notice Paul says that the reason for preaching the gospel is so that we will believe it, that we will come to believe the gospel. And that belief changes us. We will see this life and the purpose of this life differently. Every day we wake up, we have a different purpose than anyone that doesn't know Christ because we have a purpose that's settled and we stand in the gospel. The gospel story is not only a story of Christ's death on the cross, but my death as well on the cross. I'm telling you guys, I was sitting down there. I finished this outline on Thursday And I was sitting down there and when Greg went to Romans 6 and he starts talking about that we are crucified with him, we are buried with him. I'm like, Lord, you are so amazing and that you're leading us this way. Because when we receive the gospel, when we receive Christ, we are not just learning about his crucifixion. We're actually learning about our crucifixion. That when we receive Christ, our flesh is crucified. And that's why that voice in our flesh keeps trying to distract us. Because it wants us to believe that that's not really true, that it still has control. It's still reigning over us. But the reality is, it's a still small voice compared to the voice of the Spirit of God in Christ. Because the flesh is dead. The flesh has been crucified. Now, we know we still have to carry it around. We know we're still in this human body. But its power over us, its control over us, has been crucified. Your old self, my old self, my sinful desires, your sinful desires, those motivations that were not pleasing to the Lord, those worldly desires, all of them have been crucified in Christ. And that's a beautiful, beautiful, truthful statement. Because we need him to crucify our flesh because we can't. If you could have done it, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. If you could overcome your sinful desires, he wouldn't have to go to the cross. You can't. So he did. And in so doing, not only does he give us his righteousness, he takes our sinfulness. And he crucifies our flesh so that when we stand before God, we're seen as righteous and pure as the bride of Christ. Because I cannot do anything that would pay the payment for my sin apart from spending eternity in a place of hell. That's the payment that if I want to give my payment, I want to take care of it. That's what the Bible says my payment is. An eternity separated from him in hell. But yet Christ in his grace and in his love, not just God's love for you, but Jesus' love for you. Yes, God loves the world, but Jesus had to love you to go to the cross. And he went to the cross out of a love for you. Remember what the Bible says? For the joy that was before him. What was that joy that he knew you would come to Christ, that there would be a relationship with his creation. And so he willfully, he didn't begrudgingly go to the cross. So many people get this wrong. They think, well, yeah, but look at him in the garden. He's crying out, Lord, take this cup from me. Yes, in his humanity, as the God man, he's seeking the father's will. And as an example for us, by the way, he's saying, I don't want to physically go through this, of course. But he ends up by saying, but not my will, but yours be done. He wasn't drugged to the cross. He acknowledged this is the father's will and I will do it joyfully. I will do it willfully. At any moment, Jesus could have stopped the process because he is God. But he chose to continue all the way to the cross, into the grave, and be resurrected for your salvation, for my salvation. The apostle Paul points this out that we are crucified with Christ in Galatians 2.20. Again, a very familiar verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, the gospel doesn't just affect heaven and hell and eternal state. It affects your life right now. It is the foundation for this life. One author said it this way, truly Christ's death and my death are so intertwined as to be inseparable. Christ's death and my death in Christ is so intertwined, they're inseparable. I can't find that line where it's the crucifixion of the Christ and the crucifixion of my flesh. It's all intertwined as a beautiful gift of grace because that is what's required that I might come to know Christ and be saved, forgiven of my sins and receiving the righteousness of God. You see, when we receive the gospel, we discover that this life is not about us. But now an opportunity to display the riches of his grace to this world. This life is not about what you want. What I want or desire. In Christ, this life is about an opportunity now to show the riches of his grace. That others would come to know Christ. We exist for the glory of God. Uh, this week at camp, one of the things you always try to do at camp is talk about the kids, especially younger kids, shining your light for Christ. That we are to be a light for Christ. And I know we all remember that song when we were kids, right? This little light of mine, right? That whole thing. But it's more than a Sunday school song. It's more than flannel graph. Some of you are like, what's flannel graph? I'll spare you the story. We'll talk about it later. Okay. It's just crazy. It was a crazy time in church history. Everything was graph. I don't know what we were thinking. But anyway. This, no, I'm just kidding. It was fine. I like the little I used to play with them when they were off the graph board. Anyway, so anyway. But this idea of this light of mind, like I'm gonna let it shine. Listen, your life is a reflection of the glory and grace of God that He has bestowed upon you. And you can now shine that light in other people's lives through your words and your actions and your attitudes. And yet so many Christians are so consumed with consuming the things of this world, building their kingdom so they can stand at the end and what? Pat yourself on the back for all that you've amassed that will stay here and not go with you? That your family most likely will fight over who gets what? You're just building this kingdom and God's going, oh, that, wow, that's great, but I, I kind of have a purpose for you that's so much greater than that. And that's the problem is we think building our kingdom is the greatest thing we can do. And and it's not. And we've talked about this. Your life isn't even about not only you. It's not even about your family. And this is why I'm so amazed. In modern Christianity, family time always wins. And yet Christ, if we keep him first, our families will flourish. If you live for Christ, your marriage will flourish. If you live for Christ, your family will flourish. Now, I'm not saying that they're all going to come to Christ and everything's going to be perfect, but you will see God in all those things. And so if there's something that goes sideways or if there's a prodigal, you're not going to be consumed by that and overwhelmed by that. You have a faith in Christ that's deeper than that. Your job as a mom and dad is not to raise kids who are successful in the world. Your job as mom and dad is to raise up and train up children that will come to know Christ and live for his glory. My boys know this. Listen, if they decide to do something that God calls them to and they are, quote, financially secure, I'm okay with that. If they're honoring God in their lives and they're in some missionary field in a shack making little to no money, I'm okay with that. Because my job as a dad is not to train up successful businessmen. Now, if that's what God calls them to, then go be a successful businessman. But if God calls them to something, my job is to be the biggest cheerleader for that thing. Not to take my preconceived ideas of success and force that on them so that they think they got to please me or please the world but that they would have freedom to say, you know what, Lord, I don't even know. I'm just going to go do this and experience that and go to this mission field or go to this school do this, and I'm just going to trust you. And I'm going to be right behind them saying, just keep going. Because it is worth everything to follow Jesus, no matter what you lose or gain physically in this life. Because the foundation for this life is Christ and the gospel. I've shared it before, but it's worth repeating. When I was in high school and I told him I was going to a Bible college and they were like, I told the counselor this, and they were like, oh, okay, and they write it down. That's great, you know, and they're like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a sometime of full-time pastor, missionary, minister. I don't really know. I'm just going to be in full-time ministry. And the lady looked at me and said, is there any real money in that? You know, there's not real money in that, right? And I just kind of smiled. I said, that's okay. That's not why I'm doing it. A Christian, a couple of years later, a Christian man. Later on in years, older than me, that should have been pushing and encouraging me, misguided, heart was in the right place, but misguided, said to me, whatever you want to do, find someone who does it, go hang out with them, see how they live, see how much money they're making, and then decide if you want to follow in that path or not. This is a Christian man. This is a Christian man giving me supposedly godly advice. And I looked at him and said, so I want to be a pastor, so I'm supposed to go hang out with the pastor, and if they don't make enough money, I should quit the ministry? Like, it's just such a worldly way of thinking, because the problem is we're not standing. As Christians, a lot of times, we say we stand in the gospel, but we're really standing in the world's understanding of things and the world's motivation and what benefits us in this world. But this world is not our home. Because of the gospel, this world is not our home. You see, not only does Paul remind us that we are crucified with Christ, that this life is more than what we see. It's based in what Christ has for us. The apostle John also wrote this for us as well. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. You have them in your notes. I'm just going to read it for us. The whole reason he wrote the gospel of John reaffirms this idea that the gospel changes our life. He says this, so then many other signs Jesus also performed. Again, John 20, verses 30 and 31. So then many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So in the book of John, that's what he's referring to. He's not talking about the whole Bible. He's talking about the book of John. He's saying there's so many other things that Jesus did before us, before his disciples, that I could have wrote this all down, but it's not in the book. And he actually says, we don't have enough paper to talk about what he really did. But then he says this, but these have been written. What's the these? The these is the gospel of John. Everything before that, everything he's told us up to that point in the gospel of John, chapter 20, he's saying all of these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why give us the gospel of John? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of the gospel of John, and you could argue the whole purpose of the Bible, but specifically we're talking about the gospel of John is what John was talking about, specifics. It was that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you'd have life in his name. That's the purpose statement of the whole gospel of John. You see, John wrote so that his readers would believe that Jesus is the Christ, believe in essence the gospel Which when we receive it, everything changes. Our lives change. That word in John 20, uh, verse 31 for life means the eternal or divine life. The eternal or divine life that God possesses and that we receive in Christ. Now, we do not become divine in the sense of having divinity and we're still a created being. But we are granted by God's grace an eternal life with God. That's what John says, that by believing, you might have life. That word life, in the Greek, there's a couple different words for life. One of the versions is suke, which just basically means everyday life. We all just kind of have everyday life. Every living creature has life in the sense of that regard. So there's this idea of living this life. This word in the Greek is zoe, which actually just means eternal life or life unending And so John's saying, I want you to believe not that you would just have this life, but eternal life. Now, in the English, we lose that because it's just life, and we don't see that in the context. But really, or in the words, but in the context, we understand that he's saying that life that you have in his name is not just a good life this side of heaven. Quote, unquote, your best life now. Which, if that's true, if this is your best life now, based on a popular heretical book, if that's true that this is your best life now, then your destiny must be hell. Because the only way this is your best life is if you're separated from God for all of eternity. But if you're in Christ and you have heaven as your home, there is no way this is your best life now. Nothing in this side of heaven can compare with what awaits us. But yet, in this life, our eternal life has an effect. Because I've been given eternal life, which begins at the moment of salvation, not when I pass from this world. Because I've been given eternal life, which will go beyond this life, it changes how I live this life. You see, that means the gospel does not just give us purpose in this life, but an eternal life, which begins at the moment of salvation. So the gospel is our foundation for this life and for the life to come. We have been granted a wonderful gift of salvation, a beautiful, gracious gift of salvation. And that means that awaiting us in Christ, apart from anything you can do, anything you can perform, any way that you can do it on your own, but based solely in the finished and perfect work of, the cro- of Christ through the cross is heaven. And it's waiting for you. Like when you step from this world, it's not, I hope I get in. It's, I have a confident guarantee that I will be with Christ in his heaven, in his presence Forever. You see, we do not have to hope or wish on a star or hope I did enough good works. We have a guarantee of an eternity with our God. And this confidence in Christ should lead us to a deeper desire to be with Christ. We should long to be with Christ. And that should affect how much time we spend with him this side of heaven. I love what a gentleman by the name of Milton Vincent wrote. And it's a very small little book called The Gospel Primer. Mostly, it's just a lot of short sayings and things like this, but I love this. He said, the more I experience the riches of Christ in the gospel, the more there develops within me a yearning to be with Christ in heaven, where I will experience his grace in unhindered fullness. He continues, the reason for this yearning is simple. The reason I long to be with him in unhindered fullness. Right now, we have a relationship with Christ. Amen? You have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is not, I get to heaven, I have the relationship. I have it right now. We can spend time in his word by the work of the spirit and have a connection with him and intimacy with him. But we know it's hindered. Now, why is it hindered? Because he's there and we're here. Because we have this flesh. We live in a fallen world. We physically can't see Christ. So there's some hindrances to this relationship. But one day in Christ, we will see him unhindered. No barrier. No division. No division. He will see us and we will see him and it will be an amazing, amazing moment. So the writer here says, that's what I'm longing for. I I want that. He continues, the reason for that yearning is simple. However great may be the present blessings of salvation in this life, they are but the first fruits of the spirit. The first installments of an unimaginable great harvest of glory, which I will reap forever in heaven. Because this is great to know Christ in this life, but just wait. Because this is just the tastes. This is just the sampling. This isn't the entree. We're not to the meal yet. This is just, this is that little like, you know, hey, you want a little appetizer to kind of tide you over to the meal? And some of you are like, amen, hallelujah, fried pickles. I'm good. Give me the appetizer. Okay, any fried pickle lovers in, okay, a couple of hands going up, okay. Some of you are like, I don't eat deep fried pickles. I pray for you, okay. <laughs> you're missing out. Golden manna from heaven. Okay, so, I don't even need that ranch sauce stuff. Ugh, get that off the table. But, but why do we have those appetizers? Because you come in, you're hungry, you're wanting to eat, but, but you do that appetizer kind of tides you over, right, kind of satisfies you in the moment, but you know there's a meal coming that's really going to satisfy you. And some of my food lovers are just like, I love this illustration. You can just camp right here. We're, we're connecting right now, right? One day, this momentary life, this, this vapor, as James says, this, this steam off the top of a boiling pot that we see for a moment and then dissipates, that's this life. One day, this life will end. And praise God, it's no longer just a tasting of God's goodness, a tasting of God's grace, a tasting of salvation. It is in the complete, unhindered fullness that you will stand before your Savior and you will be like him. And we will experience the fullness of salvation, the full presence of God. You see, I don't know about you, but I love to imagine what that looks like. And I know there's that very famous song, but to be honest with you, I don't have to wonder what I'm going to do before the throne. I know what I'm going to do before the throne and I'm going to fall before my savior and worship him. I hate to break anyone's bubble here or pop anyone's bubble. When you see Jesus, you're not going to wonder how should I respond right now? I'll be honest with you from scripture. I don't think you're dancing. I don't think you're saying a word. I think you're falling flat on your face and crying out as the angels cried out. in Isaiah six, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He is Holy, I think we're just going to worship. Now, I believe there'll be more to it than that, but I'm saying that initial interaction with the Savior will be us just realizing the fullness of what grace really cost our Savior. Like, what did it really cost to save you and to save me? I think we'll finally realize that there. Some of us think, well, I wasn't too bad. I was a pretty good person. So the grace that God gave me was a little less than the grace he had to give someone else who was a much worse sinner than me. And we think that way, that grace is kind of distributed by how bad we think we are. Oh no, the grace that it costs to save you can only be measured in the blood that was spilled on the ground before Calvary. That's what it cost. That's how wretched you were. That's how wretched I was. And when we get to heaven and we see Jesus, we're going to know the fullness of saying, that's what it cost." I love the Bible tells us that Jesus still has the marks, the wounds in his hands from the cross. And I believe that's there to be a long-lasting, eternal testimony of the greatness of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for our sins. You see, one day we will see him. And while thinking of heaven and the wonder of heaven, being in his presence as far as before the throne, being in heaven as our eternal home is a wonderful thought. The, uh, being in heaven and going to heaven is not in and of itself the greatest prize of the gospel. The greatest prize of the gospel is not even found in merely having our sins forgiven. The essence of eternal life, the greatest prize found in the gospel, is ultimately knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Everything else the gospel provides is intended to bring us closer to him. That's the gospel. John fourteen three. It's the heart of the gospel that where I am, there you may be also. We praise God for the gospel because without it, we would have no hope of an eternal relationship with whom our souls, our souls desire. Your soul desires to be with God as a created being of God, and you would have no hope of achieving that apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. See, that's the part of the gospel that I think it's overlooked. Yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, we go to heaven when we die. Yes, we have eternity before us, but God is there, and that's the point. It's about the relationship. I, people have asked me, what do you think heaven looks like? And I don't say this to be mean because it is interesting to think about these things. And oh, are they like poofy clouds? Are we like scooting around on clouds, zipping around in the air? I, I don't know. Somebody said, well, you just got to think it. And poof, you're in another room, right? Like you're at so-and-so's mansion and you're over at the neighbor's mansion. And you just thought it, you just walked through a wall like Jesus. I, I don't know. And I don't mean this mean, but here's my answer to that question in my heart and mind. When somebody's like, what's heaven like? I don't really care what heaven looks like. Just being real. You know why I don't care? Because Jesus is there and that's all I need to know. That's why I don't think God tells us a whole lot. Because he wants us to know him. And in knowing him, we don't need to know everything else. We just know him. And that's enough. And so let me ask you a question. Believer? Christian? You've received the gospel, but is the gospel your practical, active foundation for your daily life today? Do you allow the gospel and the beauty of the gospel to dictate to you how you live today, how you spend your money, how you invest in, in your time? Are you actively pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ, a yearning to be with him? By the way, that yearning will only grow as you walk with Christ until one day you'll see him face to face. But let me also encourage those that may not know Christ. Maybe you're here and you've gone to church and you've confessed to believe. Maybe you've prayed a prayer at some point in your life and I, I pray that it was genuine. But maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I don't know if that really was a real, genuine, heartfelt where I cried out to God and said, I need you to forgive me of my sins. Maybe you prayed a prayer because you were a kid in a Sunday school class or a VBS and, and other kids are raising their hands and you're like, well, I, I want to raise my hand. I guess I want to believe. And for years, you've debated this in your mind. You've thought, do I really know Christ? Then today can be the day of salvation for you where you just simply say, Lord, I want to know you. Apart from anything else, would you receive me as your son, as your, as your daughter? I confess my sins. I receive your grace by faith. And I ask that you would save me. It's as simple as that. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads right there where you are. and We're going to have a time of invitation. As you begin to pray right there where you are and we prepare for invitation, I want to ask you to not overthink this. It's a pretty simple application. Do you know Christ? And if you do know Christ, are you living in a way practically today that reflects that relationship? Do you see the gospel as the foundation not only for eternal life, but this life, the life you live today? Because the eternal life you've been gifted and granted a affects this life. We live this life differently because we have the gospel. Your flesh has been crucified. Are you allowing your flesh to reign over you in sin? Are you surrendering to sinful decisions or would you realize that through Christ you have a freedom, that you have been given new life? You don't need to let that sin conquer or reign over you any longer. Confess that sin Repent of that sin, and God will give you victory from it. Do you practically live this way? And if if you're here today and you would say, you know, Pastor John, I'm striving to do that. I don't do it perfectly. That's okay. No one does. None of us are living for Christ perfectly. That's why we need grace. But if you're here and you'd say, I'm striving for that. I want to please him. My deepest desire is to satisfy my Savior, to live with eternity on my mind, to think about in every aspect of my family, my children, my spouse, my career. That eternity is number one, that I'm thinking about how is this helping others to know Christ? How is this helping me to grow in Christ? And that's your desire that I'm going to ask you when we have a song of invitation to pray and say, Lord, would you help me to stay strong in this desire to stand and continue to stand in the gospel? Not to get distracted, not to get t- discouraged or taken off course, but to keep my eyes on you. Maybe you would want to come and pray and say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Help me to stay continue to keep my eyes on you. Maybe you're here and you would openly say, you know what, I've received the gospel. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I know I'm a Christian, but it's really not affecting my daily life. It's really not leading me to make different decisions than I would normally make. Maybe you would come and say, Lord, would you break my prideful heart, my arrogant heart, maybe an apathetic heart, and would you remind me of the beauty of the gospel and that eternal life would affect this life. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, maybe you would come and say, Lord, I need to be saved. I need to confess my sins, repent, which just means to turn from our sins and trust Christ. Believing that he died on the cross for your sins, for my sins, was buried and rose again and we can surrender our lives to him and receive eternal life because he loves you that much. Father, in all these things, in all these different levels of application, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. That by the moving of the Spirit, that by the drawing of the that only you can do in our hearts and in our minds, that you would lead people to repentance, that they would know whether or not they know Christ and then make the appropriate decision to either respond in faith and receive Christ or to be affirmed in their salvation and to walk in Christ. Therefore, because we've received Christ Jesus, we can walk in him. And so, Father, work in all of this for your glory and your praise. Strengthen those that are struggling, Lord. May they know your grace is for them. No matter where they've gone or what they've done, even as a Christian or a non-Christian, Lord, you're there for them. I to draw them unto the reality of the gospel. Let them know there's still a the purpose for them no matter what. If they would repent and trust in you, you can use them right where they are. And so, Father, again, would you work in all of this? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're lighting the song of invitation. Would you respond to what God is doing this morning? Would you come and pray here at the altar, applying what you've learned today? Maybe I just want to come and say, Lord, I just want to praise you for the gospel. Thank you for your salvation. I want to lift you up this morning. Whatever it is, would you respond as we sing?